quick favor, could you hit the subscribe button? It really helps get the show out there so that more people can be inspired by the personal growth that our guests are talking about and take those lessons into their own lives. Welcome to Wellness with Ella, the Deliciously Ella podcast. This is a podcast that aims to inspire you, to empower you, to leave you feeling uplifted. Every week, me and my guests will candidly reveal our personal journeys of transforming times of great difficulty into times of enormous personal growth. How did our guests get to where they are today? What have been their biggest challenges? What practices and habits have really genuinely moved the needle for them and how do they keep moving forward? Wellness with Ella has the simple mission of giving you unfiltered, empowering conversations that give you the tools, knowledge and inspiration to transform your own life and your own health. Our guest today is Jessie Inchuspe, aka the Glucose Goddess. And if you don't know Jessie, she's a French biochemist, the author of the number one international best-selling book, Glucose Revolution, and the founder of the Glucose Goddess movement, which is now a community of almost 2 million people. Jessie is really leading the conversation on blood sugar, which, as lots of you will know, is a hot topic at the moment. And she is helping hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, improve their mental and their physical health by educating them on the importance of balancing their blood sugar levels. Sounds a bit dry, but our blood sugar impacts everything from our mood to our skin, energy levels, craving, fertility. And by providing science-proven strategies to steady blood sugar levels, Jessie is empowering so many of us to improve our well-being. I loved talking to Jessie about blood sugar. It's such an interesting topic, and I think you'll find that as well. But equally, it was so interesting to understand her journey to get to this point. I think so often we come across people when they're more at the peak of their career, but it's not been an easy road for her to get there. So I absolutely loved getting under the skin of what inspired her to create this community, to start talking about blood sugar and prompt her to want to spend her life helping these millions of people reconnect with their bodies. It's one of those incredibly inspiring stories about how someone's most challenging moments A moment of complete darkness can ultimately turn into a passion, a deep sense of purpose, and ultimately an incredibly unexpected career. I think it's fair to say what she does now is not what she ever expected to do. I think that also serves as such testament to so much of what we talked about on this show, the idea that it's very, very rarely smooth sailing to get to anywhere very fulfilling in life. And Jessie's story is certainly one of those of several steps backwards to take a step forward it's filled with a deep sense of perseverance and in amongst a very dark period of her mental health following a serious injury in her late teens everything started to unfold and i don't want to spoil any of the rest of the story so let's just get straight into the show well jesse welcome to the show it's such a pleasure to see you thanks for having me ella i mean god what a year you've had We were just talking before we started recording. It was only last April that your first book, The Glucose Revolution, came out. And it's been translated into 41 languages. I mean, it's just been this extraordinary sensation. Everywhere I go, I see it. We have had a lot of requests to um, have a chat with you on the show. So I think we're going to have a lot of happy listeners today. But before we get into your story and why you do what you do today... I would love you to introduce yourself. You know, lots of people might know you through your work, through your Instagram account, the Glucose Goddess, but who's Jessie? 
Oh, good question. Well, I'm French. I love cats. I love music. I love chocolate. I love sleeping. Um, I'm a scientist. I'm also a people person. I love connecting deeply with somebody I meet at a dinner party. Um, I love fluffy things. I love having my fluffy coats on me at all times. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a whole person, you know, and it's true that people see the, the glucose goddess and they think I'm this like perfect being who never eats sugar and is just like blah, blah. But um, yeah, I'm many things, many things. I'm a sister. I'm a daughter. I'm a friend. I'm a teacher. I'm a writer. Lots of stuff. I love that. I think that's, and that's the point of that first question is that I think we, we all are those things, but I think sometimes we don't see that in each other and we think of ourselves or we think of each, of other people as quite almost one dimensional beings. Mm -hmm. um, or we see someone through their professional life and we kind of forget that they too like cats and fluffy things. <laughs> I love fluffy things. <laughs> so I appreciate that. And how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm, I'm in a very grateful phase right now. And, you know, I mean, it's always up and down. But right now I just feel so proud of this past year and so proud of what I've been able to overcome and what I've been able to create. And um, the feeling I have is sort of like the, the doors are open in front of me. And now it's just a matter of stepping through them in a, in a thoughtful way and in the best way I possibly can. So that's my current feeling. That's a very beautiful feeling. And I guess before we rewind and understand the journey and the experience that you had to, to get to where you are today and to create and cultivate that feeling, because that's a pretty extraordinary place to be in your life. And I think a place that so many people would love to be at mm -hmm. and the inspiration of how you got there, I think is very, very meaningful. Because one of the things I so want to show on this show is the fact that that's not just a given. It's not just doesn't just arrive. It takes a huge amount of hard work and sometimes kind of the depths of darkness in order to get to those places of light. And the more we see that in other people, the more I believe we're able to say, you know what, I can do that too. If I understand your personal growth and your transformation, there's bits that I can relate to and feel I too could become the person I want to be or unlock the things that I want in my life. And I find that deeply inspirational. So I'm very excited to get into that. But did you ever think you'd be doing what you do today, being who you are today? I mean, it must feel extraordinary. It's very odd. I don't think I've fully processed it. When I was a teenager, I wanted to be a singer. And I had all these Britney Spears posters in my room. And I just loved singing. Um, no, I never thought I would be at this point but in a way now that I'm here it also feels quite good I do feel like a part of my soul has arrived in the place that she was supposed to be so it's a bit of that duality on the one hand you know I can't fathom the fact that there's like all the, these readers of my books and people stopping me in the street and the followers and everything um, and that I exist outside of just my relationship to myself that people have a relationship to me that I, I don't and I don't know them that's really interesting so no I never thought that this would happen. Yeah, at the same time, a part of me feels okay and ready and comfortable with it. And so if we rewind to understand what was the kind of beginning of the journey to get to that place, am I right in saying it really started when you were 19 and up until that point, you hadn't thought a huge amount about your mental health or your physical health? Absolutely. So when I was a kid, I had no passions except, you know, singing Britney Spears songs. Like, actually. Who doesn't have right? that as but a kid? I, nothing, 
you know, when I was a teenager, I, nothing like grabbed me. I wasn't passionate about animals or about like geology. I didn't really have any passions. I was just a really good student with a very calm, healthy life. And so it was a bit tough for me because I felt like, oh man, maybe I just don't like anything. I don't know what to do with my life. Um, and then when I was 19, that's when things started to change. But it wasn't like in a big moment of joy, like, oh my God, I figured everything out. You know, I want to work in health. Actually, it was kind of the opposite. Something really intense happened to me. I broke my back jumping off a waterfall. And in a second, my life completely switched from this innocence of youth to this like immense pain, fear of death, a lot of physical problems and mental health problems afterwards. And I talk about that 19-year-old moment, like the beginning of the journey, but really it was more the beginning of the pain. And that pain lasted, you know, six, seven, eight years until I finally saw some light. And out of that light, I've created what I made today. But it was a lot of suffering to even get to the first little speck of light. And do you mind if we kind of hone in a little bit on, on what happened? Because obviously everyone's got their own stories and everyone listening will have their own moments of challenge and hardship in their lives. And it might be something physical like you experienced. And that was my catalyst moment as well. And it probably would have been actually a very similar time. And it was a, a physical challenge, but sometimes it's an emotional challenge. You know, maybe it's grief. It's so many different factors for all of us, but I think there's something in understanding. Again, I don't think we often talk about what these things really feel like mm -hmm. and how difficult and dark and low it can get and a that there's a way out of that but b that that is normal those can be normal feelings and certainly and I know something you've talked about I felt incredibly alone when I was going through that and it sounds like it was the same for you and that's something else that I really want to normalize because I think especially in terms of opening up and really opening up about mental health we've got to be kind of completely candid about that completely so you're in Hawaii with your mm -hmm. friends is that right and you were just having a really fun day yeah I just you know I was in the prime of my teenage years I thought I was invincible my two male friends jumped off this waterfall and they said hey Jesse you do it and of course you know I wanted to be cool I've always had this thing where I've really wanted to be cool. And so I pretended I wasn't scared. And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. No problem. And so I climbed to the top of this waterfall and I looked down and I'm like, oh my God, that's really scary. How high was that? 10 meters, 30 feet. Yeah. Very so high. pretty high for your first ever jump on, out of anything. <laughs> and my two male friends had told me, land really straight okay. with your feet and then your whole body like really straight above your feet. And so as I leapt off the edge of the cliff, that feeling in my stomach of like, <gasps> you know, when you feel like you're falling, well, I was falling and I completely forgot to be straight. And I landed just a tiny bit sitting down, just a tiny bit and total freak incident. My, basically my tailbone took the pressure and it went up, up, up my spine and one of my vertebrae just went poof, into 13 pieces. And what I, I immediately felt a lot of pain. And then I got out of the water. I was like, ow, 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 could ow, you, ow, ow. Could you swim out of the water yourself? I could, yes. I think the adrenaline in that moment allows you to do anything. But the problem is you couldn't see anything. There was no bruising, no blood. Like I wasn't bent in half because of my muscles were holding me. So to the outside, it looked like maybe I had just pulled a muscle. So I walked back to the car for a mile with my broken back and like I had just wrapped a towel around, around myself. 
And then I spent 24 hours at home laying in bed thinking it was just a mus muscle thing. And then finally the next day, um, I told my mom, listen, it's not getting better. We need to go see a doctor. So we see a first chiropractor who touches my back and I go, ow, ow. And he's like, no, you have to go to the hospital. <laughs> so I go to the hospital in Hawaii. They do a scan and they finally see the bones are broken. Then I spend two weeks laying down in the room in Hawaii because my parents were trying to decide what to do, like where I was going to get surgery. I end up being flown back on a medical plane all the way back to Switzerland to have surgery there. Anyway, long, long story, but I waited a long time in that state of not being allowed to move, knowing my back was broken, but nothing was happening. And then finally the day of the surgery came and very complicated, intense surgery. Um, but then when I woke up, the physical stuff started getting better. And in a matter of a month, my physical health was back, thank God. And the surgeons did an amazing job. But then what nobody had told me about nor prepared me for is that my mental health and my brain really started suffering. And I remember the first symptoms, I just kind of felt like I was in a dream. Everything was a little bit fuzzy around me. I felt like there was sort of a veil between me and reality. And then it just kept getting worse and worse and worse to the point where when I looked in the mirror, I would become super anxious. I was like, who is that? I had a complete detachment from myself. When I looked at my hands, it was as if they weren't mine. And I felt super confused about being in a body. And that just started escalating, escalating to the point where I could never be alone. I was terrified. I went to see all these different doctors who looked at me like I was, you know, crazy. Um, so a lot of pain, yeah. And that stayed that way for about a year and a half. And I honestly didn't want to live. I mean, it was really, really bad. And um, in that depth of pain, I think the one thought that kept coming back was like, wow, I was so lucky before. And when I had my mental health, I didn't realize, but I really had everything. And your health really is the most important thing in your life and your greatest wealth. So, yeah, it was a long journey. And that feeling sort of stayed with me for many, many years. And today it still happens once in a while. But through those years, I've been able to manage it. And through learning about how food is affecting my brain, etc., it's also helped me a lot. But that phase of my life was so dark and I was so alone you know nobody understood what I was going through it was really really hard and did you talk to people a lot about it at the time yeah. or did you find it hard to talk about I told everybody about it but it's difficult when you go to your friend and you're like hey so right now I'm looking at you but I don't really see you it's like I know it's you Ella but I can't really register that your face is there and my brain was just completely broken and was that from the trauma I think now looking back, I think what happened is that during the surgery, there was so much stress in my body that was never metabolized. Nobody ever told me, you know, that I should have a little ceremony afterwards to honor the experience I went through or shake to move the stress out of my body or I had no practices. I had nothing. So I think what happened is that, yes, the huge amount of stress and fear that stayed in my body then led to those states. And there were many aggravating factors to those moments and those episodes of difficult mental health. And I know that this will always be with me. But now, for example, like just the fact that I'm in London right now for a week and I have an Airbnb and I'm living there on my own and I feel fine. It's amazing. I'm so grateful that I have that. I used to never be able to ever be alone because of the deep fear of existence I was feeling. 
And did you start to work with anyone or any professionals or you were really kind of trying to go through it on your own? I did. I found a therapist. I found a woman who was doing craniosacral therapy. She really helped me. Uh, but ultimately, I felt quite alone. It's not until I moved to California and that people around me started talking about, you know, trauma and energies that I felt a bit more understood. I was living in London at the time and I just didn't have the community around me to be supported or understood. People just looked at me a little bit weird. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know why I'm in a body. <laughs> you know, they were like, um, okay. Okay. <laughs> but it's not their fault, you know, bless them if you have never gone through that. And I don't wish this on anyone. How could you relate? It's tough. How do you feel you got out of the kind of depths of the darkness 18 months later? What do you think it was that really allowed you it sounds like it was a kind of journey over five six seven years yeah. to really get to a yeah. place further away from that but to be able to feel you could kind of live for want of a better word more normally I think writing really helped me just I bought this diary and I started writing all my fears all my anxiety all my suffering and I started having a bit more of a relationship with myself so you know like self-compassion being more in touch with what I needed how to make myself feel loved and cared for I think that slowly helped but to be honest I mean it was so gradual I think just as I grew into myself this slowly subsided because I was able to bring in more and more practices over time. But it was not like one day it was all gone. It was very, very slow. And therapy really helped. Figuring out my food situation really helped. Figuring out how to even like set boundaries around me and just take get better care of myself, how to handle my stress. All these small things of me growing into a new version of myself slowly made that feeling go away. But it's not until I think maybe one or two years ago that I've been really feeling okay, really fully okay. I think that's such an amazing example of the fact that it's it's not a quick journey when you start addressing various facets of your life. And we, we always so want it to be, but it's very inspiring to see that you've got to this place, but it's taken you, you know, it's a long period so long. of time to get there. And when you're in those moments, and I'm sure a lot of listeners will relate, when your mental health is so broken, you think this is going to be you forever. Like your brain plays this trick on you, whether you have, you know, you're going through an anxiety phase, a depressive phase, whatever your brain is telling you, this is forever. This is you. And I felt so much like that. And now I know that's just a trick that your brain plays on you. So it's important to know that because that can, that really helped me um, not give up. I was like, I think this is not going to be forever. Like, I think there was a little thing inside me telling me that someday it was going to be okay. And that kept me going, I think. If you could rewind and give that version of you um, one piece of advice or one piece of advice for anyone who feels like they're in that place right now, mm, what would it be? The first thing that came to mind is um, do some ceremonies for yourself, like small little things like sit in your bedroom light a candle, write something and just like give yourself love and self-compassion and space and time and connect with your soul and tell her that it's going to be okay. I think for me, that would have been so wonderful to have as a tool. Um, and also just the fact that it's not forever. It is not forever. Like you will get through this. And even if I know right now, it feels like you're never going to get through this and you're going to feel like this forever. You're not. And that's really, really important to know. 
And was it this deep connection with yourself and starting to cultivate that and this desire to take that deeper? Is that what led you to look at genes and eventually yes. go and work in that area? Yes, And absolutely. genes, by the way, I mean, from a biological perspective, <laughs> not, not what you wear. I'm here to talk about my denim brand. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, be, you know, I was telling you that at that young age, I felt like, wow, my health is my greatest wealth. If I don't have my health, I have nothing. And I remember thinking so clearly, if my mental health and my physical health are not good, it doesn't matter what I'm studying, what career I have, like what I'm doing, what I'm wearing. Nothing matters if you don't have your health. And so from that place of being that young girl that had no interest, no passions, nothing. And I was studying math at the time in London. And the only reason I was doing that is because I had no idea of what to study. And my stepdad told me, if you don't know what to do, do the hardest thing you can. And so I went to study mathematics, literally out of that, like not because I particularly liked it. And finally, I had found something that I wanted to dive deeper into. And that's when I thought, okay, I'm going to learn about the body. I'm going to try to figure out how this machine works so that I can reconnect with this biological organism, right? That I felt so alienated from. So I went to the US, studied biochemistry in grad school. And then I moved to Silicon Valley to be in the field of genetics because at the time, a lot of people thought DNA is the future, right? If we understand our genes, we understand everything. So I wondered, maybe if I understand my DNA better, I'm going to know what I need to do so that I can finally feel good. Turns out that wasn't exactly the case. Um, but while I was there is when this wonderful universe gift happened. I discovered glucose and that really, you know, that was maybe five years, six years after uh, going to study in, in grad school. That's when I felt like I had reached a new level of interest and I had found a new topic that could really help me. And before we go into that topic and about nutrition and glucose, I would love to get your 101 on why DNA isn't the future, why our genes don't dictate who we are, because I think it's a very interesting reflection point on the fact that personal responsibility is very difficult um and I have certainly found it very difficult at times to take personal responsibility for my health like ultimately making healthy decisions takes time and it takes and it takes discipline and it's not always the easy option um but actually our daily choices and our lifestyle choices have almost a bigger impact than anything else and I think we so often say well I'm just born like this this is how I feel or and there's nothing I can do about it these are my genes that's not really the case right it's not and the reason the science has discovered that's not the case is because after the discovery of DNA and this huge you know enthusiasm about this very cool piece of the human body scientists started discovering that two people can have the exact same DNA, that is identical twins who have, you know, letter for letter, base pair for base pair, the same genetic code, A to Z, can have very different health situations. One might be depressed and the other one might not be. One may have, you know, heart disease and the other one might not. And scientists started asking themselves, okay, so how is it possible that two people who have the exact same genetic code have such different health outcomes in such different lives. And that's when they started understanding that actually your DNA is a bit like the blueprint in your house. So it's the nice line drawing of your house, but then your daily choices, they're the ones that buy the furniture, paint the walls, invite your friends over, cook dinner. You know, it's like a completely different experience. And 
while your DNA is really, you know, that blueprint, your lifestyle choices, your stress levels, your job, who you surround yourself with, you know, your microbiome, all these different factors really determine your health much more. There are a few exceptions. Some people have very rare or very intense genetic mutations. That mean they will have a genetic disease. Um, and in those cases, you know, that sort of takes precedent over most other things. But for the vast majority of people, yeah. and it's the lifestyle choices and, and our the way that we choose to spend decades of our lives yes. that make the big impact on our health. And I think that's a very powerful and also almost scary revelation. And I'm curious how you felt when you sort of almost discovered you'd gone there yeah. and you were like, geez, <laughs> it's the answer. I'm going to get to know myself only to realize actually there was a still kind of a really big gap in your knowledge and being yeah. able to truly understand why do I feel this way today versus yesterday versus tomorrow? It was very disappointing. Very disappointing. I thought that my genes were going to be able to tell me how to wake up in the morning feeling good and feeling healthy. Healthy. I thought my genes were going to be able to tell me what to eat. I thought my genes were going to tell me all sorts of very, you know, prescriptive information. Turns out not at all. So, you know, your genes may influence your risk of a certain condition by 2%, 3%, but they don't tell you what to do. They don't tell you what to do at all to wake up feeling well. So I felt disappointed, but I also felt like I had learned a lot in that experience of working in that genetic, genetics company about how to communicate science in an easy and fun way. And when I was there, I had no idea what was ahead of me. I had no idea I was going to go into glucose, but it's funny looking back how it feels like life almost prepares you, you know, and the skills I learned working there about turning science into applicable tips or making something as complex as genetics um, into something people could understand has prepared me so well for the work I do today. And so what was the kind of next step on your mm -hmm. journey to become, I guess, empowered with the knowledge to start to understand what is it that impacts your day to day? As you said that every single person, I would bet very strongly wants to wake up and feel great in yeah. the morning like that's what we all long for in our lives isn't it and I think we all quite want to be told how to do that we're looking for that magic answer sure. is that what you felt you set off to do next so I hadn't actually I didn't actually know what was going to happen next I had no clue I was still working there and I liked my job and I was like okay maybe this is it but then I had the opportunity that really changed things for me um, so in Silicon Valley, people are always testing like new devices, new technologies and stuff. And so one day at work, um, this little pilot project sees the light of day and um, the R&D team says, we're going to test out glucose monitors, which are devices invented for people with diabetes to measure blood sugar levels. But let's do it in people without diabetes and kind of see what happens. And so I don't know why, but I, I raised my hand. I was like, yeah, I'll do that. And so I put the glucose monitor on and then I started tracking um, my blood sugar levels and I would see them on my iPhone, like spikes and dips and spikes and dips. And I think it was on day four or something of wearing this glucose monitor. I feel that intense mental health episode come about. So, you know, dissociation, look at my hands, they're not mine, super intense brain fog, like just feeling horrible, anxious, super scared and frightened about existing. And... I scan my glucose monitor out of habit because I had been doing it for four days. And I see one of the biggest glucose spikes that I had ever seen in those four days from the food I had just eaten an hour ago. And in that moment, I was like, oh, my God, I think I found a connection. I think I finally found a sort of 
trigger or something. Maybe these glucose spikes are triggering some of these episodes of mental health, you know, intense awfulness that I had been feeling for so long because I never knew when they would come about after that initial phase of like 18 months of just constant being in that state. Then the episodes were just like once a week, once a month, twice a week. I didn't know. And so in that moment, I felt like, oh my God. And you have to understand for me, it was seven years of total confusion. And in that moment, I finally saw a little bit of light. I was like, oh, maybe it's what I'm doing that's making it worse. Maybe I actually have some power here. Maybe there's information I can understand. Maybe things can change. And so then I became fascinated with glucose. I read all the scientific papers I could find. I had like a thousand tabs open on my computer. And I dove really deep into the subject and it, I found it's very interesting. I found that I wasn't alone, that most people who don't have diabetes have these rapid increases in blood sugar several times a day and that depending on your body they can lead to many different symptoms so I set out to try to avoid these spikes and you have to understand at that point I never thought I would write a book about this I never thought I would have an Instagram account about this it was just me in my living room with my cat just like you know being interested in this topic and trying to make myself feel better um, so that was the beginning and for anybody listening, I think there is a, an obviously very much spearheaded by you. There's a lot of conversations at the moment in the media and various different publications about blood sugar mm. and, and the fact that it can be incredibly important, particularly for energy levels, which again is something that feels like a universal challenge. We all want more energy. If you were going to give a 101 on blood sugar and why managing your blood sugar levels is so important, could you do that Absolutely, for us? Absolutely, my pleasure. So blood sugar, also called glucose, is your body's favorite source of energy. And so every single cell in your body, whether it's your brain cells or your gut cells or your finger toe cells, use glucose for energy. So it's really important for the human body. And the main way that we give glucose to our body is through eating starchy foods. So pasta, rice, bread, potatoes, and sweet foods. So anything that tastes sweet from a chocolate cake to a banana. And you might think, and this is what I used to think, okay, if my body needs glucose for energy. And as you said, everybody wants more energy. Then I should try to eat as much glucose as possible to give my body as much energy as possible. Well, that's actually where things break down. So it's a bit like this lovely plant you have in this room. This plant needs some water to survive. And you probably give it some water every week. But if you give the plant too much water, the plant will probably die. The human body is the same. Some glucose is really good. Too much glucose and problems start happening. For me, those moments of too much glucose were leading to mental health issues. But the most common symptoms are, as you mentioned, like fatigue and just uneven energy, feeling like lethargic, needing, needing coffee, just feeling exhausted all the time, chronic fatigue. Um, second are cravings. So cravings for sweet foods, which I used to have all the time, by the way. Uh, cravings for sweet foods throughout the day. Whatever's sweet and sugary next to you, like you probably want to eat it at some point during the day. Um, and then things like brain fog, lack of focus, that's also very linked to your glucose levels. And then we also see, of course, you know, long-term, when your glucose levels are deregulated, type 2 diabetes is the main consequence. But you also see many things like hormonal issues, like infertility, fertility, PCOS, difficult menopause, and the list kind of goes on and on and on. And you realize that depending on your body and who you are, th these glucose spikes and this dysregulated glucose is going to affect you in so many ways. 
Do you see it in your skin health as well? Skin. So, you know, the more glucose spikes you have, the more there's going to be inflammation in your body. And a lot of skin conditions like acne, psoriasis, eczema, they're actually inflammation-based diseases or problems. And so when you increase your glucose spikes, those will get stronger as well. More acne, more psoriasis, more eczema. Glucose is also very connected to sleep. Um, The more glucose spikes you have, the less restful your sleep will be. And also to aging. So the more glucose spikes you have, especially from sweet foods, the faster you age. And that shows on your skin as wrinkles, but also internally your organs start to slowly deteriorate. So every system in your body virtually will do much better when your glucose levels are steady. And that's what I was starting to learn for myself. Did you have this moment? I mean, I remember, yes, when I first started changing my diet and I started cooking and I was making such simple foods, like it was literally sweet potatoes with brown rice and tofu and avocado. I mean, it was nothing groundbreaking by any means. But I started making these very simple recipes and Within a few months, I just noticed things were shifting. My health, which had been stuck in a dire place for a long time, was stu- was slowly starting to improve. I felt infinitely better, but also it tasted great and it was actually very easy to do. And I'd always assumed, And you had a great time doing it. Yeah, yeah. and I'd assumed vegetables gross, you know, healthy <laughs> eating, waste of time. Yeah. And I had this sense of like, it was almost evangelical. I was like, why doesn't anybody everybody else do this and it sounds so strange to say this now because it's 12 years later and plant-based and interest in health is obviously everywhere but 12 years ago nobody was talking about this no one was interested you know eye rolls left right and center when I started talking about it and started saying how you eat is linked to different diseases and what now is I think well mostly accepted but I think there's still a kind of challenge on it in some places but it was a it was a very interesting moment I felt this kind of like fire in me to say this is changing my life and other people need to know about this too and suddenly this kind of completely unexpected career happened because Mm. as I said I felt quite evangelical about the fact that everybody should be doing this let's be honest I quickly learned a few years later that not everybody wanted to hear about it some people quite humbling that experience yeah (laughs) yeah some people were like can you be quiet (laughs) I don't really like you um (laughs) and you live and you learn but it was yeah it was this kind of extraordinary light bulb moment of I've got I've just got to share this with the world and I'm an introvert as well like I'm not someone that would have ever imagined having a job sharing this sort of thing with other people. Mm-hmm. I completely relate. That same thing happened for me. It felt like my soul was lit up. I completely relate. That same thing happened for me. It felt like my soul was lit up. It felt like every time I was looking at papers about glucose, I just felt this energy in me. And that was really... Uh, Like, I loved going to those places. I loved learning more. I loved trying to tell everybody I could about glucose. And kind of like you, I started thinking like, oh my God, everybody needs to know this. I was telling my colleagues and stuff and people were also, you know, the responses varied. Some people, like my family was super into it. And they were like, oh my God, tell us everything on everything. And some people were like... 
what? Like, just leave me alone. So I, I learned a lot also in those moments about how do you communicate new stuff to people in a way that feels exciting. And that's where the idea of the glucose graphs came about. That's where I thought, okay, all these cool papers that I'm discovering, I want to tell people about them, but there's a marketing issue. Nobody cares if I print out the scientific paper and put it on their desk. Nobody cares. It's a little dense. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> dense, very dry. Like nobody cared. And so, you know, when I want to do something, and this is one of the parts of myself that has led to many wonderful things in my life. I, I'll get it done. Like, I'll do it. And so I felt that feeling of like, I'm going to find a way to make this interesting. And that's when I thought I'm going to use my own glucose data to make these cool little graphs to illustrate the scientific papers that I'm finding so that people have a visual of the discovery. And it was just me on my computer taking a screenshot of my glucose monitor app, importing it into my computer, cutting it out in a little design software, you know, Googling photo of orange juice and like downloading the photo, putting it on the thing, and then, you know, sending the screenshot to my phones. And I mean, it was really just me basically in my garage trying to figure out, can I make a cool little visual? But that was all I thought I was going to do. I just thought I was going to help people understand this cool thing that I had discovered. But it was kind of like one step after another. I never had a greater vision, the the sort of narrative that I'm the glucose goddess and I, you know, I translate cutting edge science into easy tips to help your physical and mental health. Like that came years afterwards. At the beginning, it was just me following this cool little energy source that I was in relationship with now. I was like, wow, I just love this topic. It's so cool. I want people to know. But it was, that's all I thought it would ever be. It's interesting that though, isn't it? Because I think so often we all have ideas and things we'd love to do in our life. And we find it hard to believe it's possible that we could, you know, go from our day job to our interest or our passion becoming something that is a kind of fully fledged career. And it's, you know, you start in a very, very similar way to how I started. It was you know, a side project, you know. Your blog. Exactly. And in my parents' kitchen. And as you're saying, very, very similar, like literally, you know, as basic as it comes. But then just taking next step and next step and next step, but being so excited about it that you believe that it could become something. And it's interesting, this idea that you can, you can take this little idea and it can become so mainstream and so popular and kind of want a better word, completely blow up. And I think it's, again, that's very inspiring to believe that, any of us could potentially do that too. Yeah. And again, like this concept of when you look at my work now, it seems like, oh, it's so clear. I had an idea from the beginning. You know, the message is so easy. The visuals are so cohesive. You feel like, oh, wow, she had it all figured out. But really, I had no idea what this was going to turn into. I had no clue. The first step I took was to reach out to a few scientists in San Francisco who were working on this topic. And I, I met with them. I was like, hey, I'm interested in glucose. Can I meet with you? And I didn't get a very good vibe from them. I reached out to a few companies that were working on glucose stuff. Again, I didn't get a very good vibe from them. And so all these little moments happened where I took one more step. So I wrote that one blog post and then I asked my one friend to also put on a glucose monitor and I looked at her data and I gave her some insights back. And then I was like, okay, maybe I'll make it like a little Instagram account so that I could share these graphs. And my Instagram account was called my name. So Jacine Chuspe, which I wasn't the glucose goddess from the beginning, you know, I had no clue. And so slowly I started posting and I started seeing what people liked the most. And I started really begging for attention. So I would find 
these big Instagram accounts of big wellness people. And I would send them a DM and be like, hi, I'm Jesse. I have a small Instagram account where I'm posting about glucose because I think it's a really cool topic. Like, would you please repost me? Nobody answered. I mean, I must have sent hundreds of DMs like that. I remember emailing a lot of people on LinkedIn as well, people who worked in the wellness space, like, hi, I have this Instagram account. Can you please check it out? Hundreds. And maybe one person answered and was like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Thanks. And they would reshare a post of mine in my story, in their story. And then slowly the thing grew, but really, 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 really slowly. And I kept listening to the few comments that like my aunt and my mom were posting on my on my Instagram posts and I was taking feedback about what they liked and they didn't like. And I, I was still working at the genetics company at the time. And I'm very risk averse. I have sort of a duality to my personality where I'm very risk averse, but also I'm very bullish that I can do stuff. So it's this weird little <laughs> relationship between two parts of me. So I thought I'm going to spend six months working on this project, one hour a day, in addition to my day job. And then after those six months, I'll decide if I want to continue. But I told myself, Regardless of what happens, even if I only have 35 followers at the end of the six months, I'm going to keep doing one hour a day for six months. And that to me was the most crucial decision I ever made in this whole journey to invest one hour a day for six months. Because so many times in those six months, I wanted to quit because I had 85 followers. And I was just like, I've had 85 followers for two weeks now. I still can't get to 86. And if I had not made that deal with myself, I would have never seen it through. So just that one hour a day really allowed me to kick off the project. And at the end of six months, I think I had like 5,000 followers. I was like, okay. And that's an hour a day of like begging, sending DMs, as I just mentioned. But that helped me start. And at the end of the six months, I decided to quit my job and try to do this full time. Um, but again, I didn't know what I was going to do exactly. I thought I should start a tech company because I was in Silicon Valley and that's what people did. And people kept giving me advice. They were like, raise a million dollars or do this and that, do it this way, do it that way. And I started realizing I should only use other people's advice to see how I feel about doing that thing. So I should never take advice. I should only listen to the reaction I'm having to that advice as a way to narrow down a little bit what I want to do. Does that make sense? It does. And I think this is one of the things that fascinates me with people because as I we were saying before we started, like normally when you get to know someone, not necessarily personally, but you start seeing them and you follow their work and you're interested in their profession, you see them in this more polished form when they've for want of a better word, arrived. Mm -hmm. They don't have 85 followers. Um, and it's it's all just a little bit shinier. And I think that we believe, therefore, that we can't do it. Mm -hmm. You know, I always really relate to this idea that you can't be what you can't see. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's one of the reasons I'm so interested in guess, stripping back that actual experience of building something up, whether that's the professional side or the kind of mental health and physical health side, because it's to understand that you went through the depths of darkness with your mental health, where you felt life almost wasn't worth living mm -hmm. to this breakthrough where you feel so alive. And I so felt so alive, Ella. I felt like when I was working on this, like my mental health was actually great. Yeah. I was so, I felt so connected. I was like, this is making my soul light up. I feel, it feels so good. And it was so wonderful. And, you know, people now see the polished version. I can assure you when I had 85 followers, most people were telling me I was dumb. That's what, that was what I was going to come on to because that's what I always find interesting is that, again, 
I think one thing that puts us off is we're scared of failing. We're scared of looking silly for want of a better word. I know I relate to that completely. You know, I think in the beginning, everyone sort of was just saying, what is Ella doing? You know, my dad was always saying, when does Ella get a real job? You know, there was just this sort of slightly awkward moment where everyone was just a little bit confused and Mm -hmm. kind of almost felt like felt quite sorry for you because you'd been poorly and now you had a blog and like good for you for trying (laughs) and there's just this interesting moment I guess of it grows beyond that and then people say oh that's really cool but there's this interesting ability I think that you have to have to cultivate self-belief and Mm -hmm. a belief in what you're doing and that you can do it and that's worth doing yeah um and be able to drown out that noise because it's very And for anyone who wants to make changes in their life, I think sometimes those changes start to feel so challenging Mm -hmm. because often when you're trying to do something quite different, that makes other people feel nervous or it creates some kind of reaction in them. And then you're getting all this criticism and noise and it's very difficult to keep following through with something. Absolutely. And I had a few important moments. So when I decided to do the six months thing, I actually was full of fear. I thought like, am I really going to do this? Am I really going to like invest in this Instagram account where I'm talking about glucose? Am I not going to look stupid? Or like so many people are already talking about this. Like why? That's what I thought. I was like, this space is so saturated. Like I thought because I was so in it, I thought glucose is everywhere. Like I saw these companies doing it. But I... I had this little cool analysis moment. I said, okay, is the fear of trying this and failing greater or smaller than the fear of being 80 years old and looking back and having never tried to go after this thing that my soul was calling for? And so I decided, you know what, even though I'm terrified, I'm going to do it because it's more terrifying to never try and to imagine myself, you know, as a grandmother being like, oh, man, I wish, you know, I had that idea and I wish I did it because this other girl, you know, the glucose girl, well, she just like crushed it and it could have been me. I mean, that's the thing I was trying to tease out. Like, yes, there's fear, but is there another fear that's greater that can push you? And then another thing is also just setting yourself very simple, easy goals. So, you know, the 85, 86 followers is a real thing. I saw, okay, this week I'm going to send 150 DMs and I'm going to try to get five new followers. Those were my goals, you know, and keeping it really simple, not telling yourself, okay, I have to build a brand. That's way too overwhelming. You have to just set yourself really easy, attainable goals. And one last thing that really helped me. And before we started recording the podcast, I told you that, I had been just reading my progress diary that I started in 2019 to remind myself of everything I had gone through. At the beginning of the project, I started a document on my computer. And every month, I would write two to three sentences about how the glucose project was going. So month one is like January 2019. I'm thinking about this glucose project. Wouldn't it be cool if I could show visually the data from the scientific studies. And then just one month after another, just small little entries of this progress. And now when I'm feeling low, I look back and I'm like, wow, I've come a long way. And that helps so much to cultivate that belief in yourself that you can do hard things, that you can improve, that you don't know what's ahead and that you have to trust yourself and that, you know, you're doing amazing. That helped me so much. I absolutely love that. I think we so often need that. Obviously, as humans, we're kind of, program to to seek out the negative that negativity bias and I think it's so important to remind yourself of that and any kind of mental 
or physical note to show that, yes, you might not have potentially made the progress you wanted, but that you've still moved forward. Yeah. Forward and I, is a pace, you know. Exactly. Yeah. And and I, you know, often you have to take two steps back to to go forward again. And I think that's a very humbling lesson that you have to keep coming back to in any part of your life. But anything that helps you remember that you're still on an upward trajectory, even if you've taken a, a little visit down. Do you have sort up. of that a sort of ritual like that where you check in with yourself and all the amazing things that you've built as well? It's something we've actually not been very good mm. at, to be frank. And I think that's part of the reason why I've become so passionate about it. Because mm. I think sometimes we've hit these huge milestones and we've almost let them go unnoticed. Without because, celebrating them. Totally, or, yeah. because we're drawn into the busyness of life mm. and the busyness of the company and exciting things will happen. You know, we've just surpassed 10,000 stockists, for example. Like that's a huge, huge. number. There are 10,000 shops where you can buy what we sell. Yeah. And I actually only realized that because it was just on a, a doc, like an internal document the other day. And it's, <laughs> so things like that will happen. And I don't think we necessarily have taken enough notice of it. And mm-hmm. that's been a big personal learning for me because running a business is very challenging and you have new challenges every single day like things generally do not go right Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's a problem solving exercise and so I think that when all the ups and downs lead you to one step up it's so important to remember that so I've become quite passionate about that because I think otherwise particularly after the last three years obviously COVID and the various lockdowns and Brexit and inflation Mm -hmm. have been I think more challenging in retrospect than we almost realized. Like I think that there were certainly points last year where actually I think both of us really started to hate what we did. It felt like the soul had been removed from it. The joy had been removed. It was only bad news. Every day was bad news. Every plan was canceled. Everything we'd worked so hard from it kind of fell on a knife edge. And it felt like you were just consistently scrambling to just stay where you were mm. and you can do that for so long but after three years it had become and that will obviously be a very familiar feeling for anyone who's also navigated as we all have all those challenges but I think it's just really heightened my sense of reminding myself when things are good and when good things have happened and I think you know I've just finished the most amazing book called I May Be Wrong. And mm. if you haven't read it, you've got to read it. And anyone listening, you've got to read it. It's by this Swedish monk who unfortunately passed away last year. More wisdom in that book than I've ever come oh, across wow. in my life. It's so beautiful, but it's this ultimate, such a strong reminder of the fact that the only thing you have got is the present. And it's just almost laughable that we as humans think that we can control anything external. You can only do your best and keep putting one step forward. But when things are good, you got to remind yourself of that because you never know what's around the corner. Absolutely. Yeah. And I feel similarly now, you know, I get to work on all these amazing projects and I can use all my creativity to its greatest extent. But I know how precious this moment is. Like, I know that I'm really lucky right now that I got people interested in blood sugar and that it's helping people. And, you know, that it's people are talking about this and people are healing and I I get to do all these amazing things that I never thought I'd, I'd be able to do. But I know how fleeting that is. And even though I hope it doesn't stop. I live my life as if it's going to stop. 
so that I'm in this gratefulness and gratitude of the amazingness. Like the fact that I get to get on your podcast, you know, like when I first started, you were one of my inspirations. I was like, wow, Ella, deliciously Ella, like she's cracked it, you know, and now I'm here with you. And like, that's just crazy. It's so cool. When I first started, I thought if I get 10,000 followers on Instagram, that'll be the greatest success ever. I wrote that in my progress diary. And now I have like a hundred times that. So it's just, I'm so aware of how rare it is to be able to get to this point and do the work I'm doing. So I'm just like super grateful and it's a nice, nice feeling. And what is it, do you think in particular, like any tips or ideas about thriving in your nutrition that have Mm. particularly resonated with people? Well, I think if you look at it globally, like the tips that I share they're additive. They don't ask you to restrict foods, take foods away, never eat sugar again. They're very easy and cheap, right? Anybody can do them today and you feel the impact of them immediately. And so I was lucky enough to come across this scientific research that all I'm doing is sharing. Like I don't do the research myself, right? I'm just here as the communicator between the scientists and the general public. And so I was lucky that this research is very recent and that I sort of stumbled upon it when I did because nobody had shared it before. Um, And the most important things, I think, in terms of the actual science that I share are like the savory breakfast, starting your meals with some vegetables, you know, doing 10 minutes of movement after your meal, vinegar, close on carbs. Like, I don't know, these hacks have become a little family um, of super easy, gentle giants that everybody loves incorporating into their lives. And almost just to go into the tips kind of one step further, well, actually in a way, one step more simple, because I think sometimes we make meals, we don't really think about the impact they'll have. And actually, interestingly, I've certainly been in a very lazy um, mindset the last six months. Life just has felt so busy mm-hmm. and I've been much lazier with my meals. Yeah. And my goodness, I felt the effect of it actually. And the last few weeks I've been back on kind of original delicious Ciela, all the greens, all the sweet yeah. potatoes, all the tofu, all the brown rice and those sorts of ingredients. And I feel amazing, like literally two or three days in and I feel incomparable Mm -hmm. to the week before. And I think sometimes I just almost need those personal reminders. They revive my passion for why it's so important to think about what you're eating. But it's almost just the the basics of thinking that when you're putting a meal together, you need protein and you need fat Mm -hmm. and you need complex carbohydrates and you can't just eat white pasta for your meal and think you're going to feel great. Yeah, but you know that realization that you have that food is affecting your health. Like for many people, they don't even know that at all, right? They don't know that if they change the way they eat, they're eating, they're going to have a completely different experience of their day. And maybe they have this concept of like, oh, you know, I should be eating healthier. But that often feels really daunting and just kind of vague. And so I think what you do so beautifully and what I try to do as well is like breaking it down into making it really simple and easy and approachable. And I think once people feel that, it's hard to go back. I mean, sure, we have moments where we just don't do it anymore, but we know that we should go back to it because it really helps. Yeah, it does exactly that. And it's very normal. And I think that's important to note, to kind of not, to oscillate a little bit. We, We all have that life gets in the way. But as you said, once you build those habits, they're very, very, very easy to go back to. And what is it that you do every day to feel your absolute best? 
savory breakfast. That's a total non-negotiable for me. I grew up eating a Nutella crepe every morning for breakfast. And I thought it was completely normal to be famished at 11 a.m. and exhausted. I had no con concept that my breakfast was impacting me. Um, and so now a savory breakfast, which means a breakfast that doesn't contain too many sweet things, that's focused around protein. That's a really important, beautiful way to keep your glucose level steady for the whole day and unlock this sort of eagle energy that you get when your glucose levels are steadier. Uh, so that's something I do absolutely every single day. Veggie starter. So when I have a meal, I'll have a little veggie portion at the beginning. That helps to create this mesh in your intestine that protects you from too many glucose spikes. That's really powerful. Is that because of the fiber? Absolutely. Yeah, the fiber creates that mesh in your upper intestine, that like viscous protective mesh that prevents too many glucose molecules from actually making their way from your digestive tract into your bloodstream. Super important. So what does that look like? You just have a little bit of salad before a meal? It can be or? anything. So you, you should strive to make your veggie starter about 30% of your meal. So it can be any of your favorite veggies. You know, maybe it's roasted collard, cauliflower with some tahini on it. Maybe it's a nice little fresh spinach salad with some pomegranate seeds, like any vegetable works. And in the Glucose Goddess Method, I have all these amazing, super easy recipes to help you do just that. So that I do every day. Clothes on carbs, I do every day. So that means if I'm going to eat starches or sugars, I never eat them on their own. I add some protein, fat or fiber to them. Um, and then one I try to do every day as well is doing a bit of movement after a meal. So maybe after lunch, I'll go for a walk. You know, if I'm at home after dinner, like I'll do some calf push-ups on the couch. Like these, these simple little moments that help my body deal with the food in an easier way. And so lead to fewer glucose spike symptoms. And yeah. And what I love about that, and that's what I've become so passionate about, is is that redefining of wellness. So it doesn't need to be that you've got to do all these like very complicated things. As you said, you could go for a 10-minute walk mm -hmm. on your lunch break after yeah. you eat some lunch, get yeah. outside. Obviously, the sunlight's gonna give you an extra boost as well for your mental well-being. And that is something that most of us can do but to your point i think sometimes when we want to eat healthier live health more healthily it feels overwhelming it, it feels, feels like... incredibly overwhelming i don't know where to start i don't have a spare hour or two hours or three hours in my day and you don't know what information to use i mean i felt that way i was totally lost i was like i want to feel better i have no idea what to do exactly i remember that transition because i felt like i'd really you know for example figured out what made me feel really healthy and then when my daughter was born i thought oh, wow, okay, I actually don't have any time for any of that. You know, I used to go to yoga class pretty much every single day before work at 6.30 in the morning. Obviously, that's not going to happen anymore. And it was realizing, oh, wait a second, I can do 10 minutes at home. It still has a huge impact. Or I can go for a 10 or 15 minute walk and it still has a huge impact on my health and the way that I feel. And it's figuring out that balance for you, but it's realizing that it doesn't have to be wildly complicated and what you were talking mm -hmm. about are simple things like adding a fat and a protein mm -hmm. to a meal which is very achievable and by doing that you can feel like a very very different person absolutely and i think also why the glucoscience i'm sharing is um so interesting to people and they want to do the hacks is because I show them, you know, how it works on my body. And you can see these visual explanations of how the veggie starter reduces the spike of the meal. And human beings are very visual people. And so I love being able to give these, you know, beautiful images that show you what's happening in your body. And I think that's super motivating to be able to see proof because otherwise you're like, 
I'm not, you know, I'm not so sure. Like this is a piece of advice, like another, but just to see the spike and then to in your body feel how different your body is feeling, that your energy is better, your cravings are reduced. That's also a huge motivator. Even if you start with a tiny thing, even if you have one tiny little baby carrot before your dinner tonight, instead of not having a tiny baby carrot or not having any vegetables in your meal, just doing that little thing is going to help you so much. And it's going to be so much better than doing nothing. And that approach that I have, which is a similar approach I took when I was starting the project, which is like 85 to 86 followers. That's what I'm going for. That's my goal. That's what I'm going to celebrate. We need to celebrate the small, tiny things. Maybe it's two calf raises at your desk after, you know, after your meal. Maybe it's like 30 seconds of yoga instead of a full, amazing class. Like all these things, I want people to feel positive and to celebrate them. There's so much joy that you can bring to your life. And then you build your self-confidence. And then it's a virtuous cycle. It is. You start to feel like a superwoman. I used to hate working out. Now I'm like, I can't wait to go to the gym. I can't wait. I love it because I just built that in myself. Yeah. And are there other things you do outside of nutrition on a day-to-day basis to really look after yourself? Because I imagine it's pretty intense work you've been doing over the last year. Has stress been a challenge? I have phases of intense stress and phases where I'm feeling pretty good, but there are some things I do every day. So every night when I'm in bed, before I go to bed, I open this app where I keep a little diary and I rate my mental health for that day on a scale of one to five. And regardless of my stress levels, regardless of if somebody yelled at me on the street, whatever, like what I'm rating is just my mental health. So how in my body do I feel? How scared of being alone do I feel? You know, looking back to how I felt when I was 19. And often, you know, I rate it five out of five. And just to remind myself that no matter what's happening around me, I feel better in my brain. That brings me so much peace and gratitude. And I've been doing that for four years now. So I have a little app with like four years of these one out of five ratings that helps me so so much and then in the morning another thing I do also phone related I don't look at my phone for the first half an hour after I wake up that helps me hugely oh me too I think that's a kind of prerequisite for life it's so tough because I used to just take my phone open Instagram it's 7 45 and I'm in my bed and just that that sucks all your energy you know and you're just are just totally dissociated for the rest of the day. So that's an important one too. And then I just, you know, I just chill when I can. Even if I have half an hour between meetings, I'll just like watch a Netflix show I love and eat some dark chocolate. Like I have no problem going into gremlin mode as soon as I have the opportunity to really just sink in and like do something I like to do. I don't feel guilty about, you know, filling every moment of my day. I try to just do the stuff I like doing. Was that always the case? Because I think a lot of people, myself included, struggle sometimes to sit still and sit quietly. And Mm -hmm. it's almost like we can't not reach for our phone and scroll because it's, you're so used to those dopamine hits, that constant go, 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 go. It's definitely hard. And I did not used to be like that. But now I realize that that's also part of my work. Like keeping myself healthy is my number one priority because if I'm not feeling good, if I am stressed out, if I'm addicted to my phone, if my brain is all over the place, I'm not going to be able to do the work that I do. So it's become my number one priority. But it wasn't, it didn't used to be the case because, you know, I was working at a company, so you can just show up and be exhausted and hungover and it doesn't matter, right? But now all the creative juice and all the ideas and all the stuff comes from me. So I, I have to be more diligent about making sure that I'm taking care of myself. 
Good for you. Because I think it's it's so important and it's it's not easy by any means. So yeah. what's next? Well, I have my new book out, The Glucose Goddess Method. I'm really, really excited about it. My, after my first book came out, which was sort of like a, a Bible of all the science and everything, I started getting this DM over and over again from people. They said, Jesse, I love your first book, but now can you please move in with me and help me actually do the hacks? And I thought that was such a good idea. So <laughs> this second book is kind of like me moving in with you for four weeks and helping you take that first step that I was talking about, those easy little things. So week one, we look at breakfast and I have all these beautiful recipes for breakfast. Week two, vinegar, which is another wonderful glucose hack. Week three, the veggie starter and week four, movement. And this book I'm hoping is going to help people really just start. And it's a bit like, okay, don't do anything. Just follow me. You don't have to like think about where to start. I'm going to make it super, super simple. And because I'm a scientist and I love data, in October of 2022, I had 2,700 people go through the four-week method. So almost 3,000 people went through it and they gave me all their results. And so you have to remember these hacks in this method, they're all additive. It's not about cutting out anything it's about adding stuff to your uh, to your everyday and the results were insane so 90% of people reduce their cravings 70% of people have more energy 40% of people with hormonal problems like PCOS improve them 40% of people with diabetes also improve their diabetes numbers and my favorite stat 99% of people feel like they have picked up habits for life and are going to continue doing this so truly this book is like the on-ramp to steady glucose it's like you want to start you don't know how to start it feels overwhelming Start with this and it's going to get you on that virtuous path that we were talking about where everything is going to start, you know, falling into place. And then you're you're on. I love that. I know people often say I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. And my number one advice is just start. Yeah. Choose one thing. Exactly. Drink a glass of water, make a cup of chamomile <laughs> yeah. tea, you know, make a five minute stir fry, go outside for 10 minutes, put an inspiring podcast, run a bath without your phone doesn't matter what it is just do one thing and yeah. do it right now it's yeah. so easy to get out of the cycle of positive habits but actually to get back in it you just need to do one two three things mm -hmm. and within 24 48 hours you're gonna feel back in it and you're so good at inspiring people to do that it's really cool oh very much likewise <laughs> my thinker yeah if anyone's listening is like i'm out of the habit just do one thing today yeah. promise yourself that you will do one thing today doesn't need to be anything hard 10 minute walk, 10 minute baby carrot class, before your dinner. Baby carrot. Just one baby carrot. <laughs> you can do it. It's better than nothing, right? And celebrate that baby carrot. Be like, yes, I had a baby carrot today before my dinner. I helped my glucose stay steadier thanks to the fiber in that baby carrot. And I'm proud of myself. Totally. I yeah. think we we forget to count the things that we do that help us each day or the mm -hmm. things that we've done for ourselves or the, the great things that we've done. We're so quick to look at where we feel we've fallen short and to judge ourselves. And I think if we can shift that mindset to feeling empowered and inspired and self congratulatory yeah. about anything that we did to just support ourselves to feel the way we want to feel be the person we want to be that's a brilliant brilliant thing and something that I think we could all myself included do a little bit more of yeah well Jesse thank you so much for your time today thank it's you, been Ella, such a pleasure and good luck me. with the new book thank you so much 
Well, I hope you enjoyed that. I felt it was this amazing mix of personal inspiration and transformation with the science of blood sugar, which is just such an interesting topic. And I think there are a few things that really stood out for me. I think the idea that her physical recovery was quicker than her mental recovery and that she was dealing with trauma and dissociation for years after the incident I know that's something I really relate to and I think many of our listeners will as well and this idea that it's not linear in any way I think it's always interesting again when we're able to start to pinpoint these moments where we can have this deep sense of purpose that arises and a moment that perhaps you start taking this newfound interest in your body and your well-being that connection perhaps between your diet and the way you live and your mental health and I think Jessie's a really amazing example of that. And then I think she just speaks so brilliantly about the fact that it's the habits that we do every day that impact how we feel and our overall health. It's about these simple tools. It's not about all or nothing. And actually, we have so much power to transform our health. And that power really lies in building these simple foundations of healthy habits that truly have a profound impact over time. And I hope that's something that you really took away from this too. So... All that's left to say is just a huge thank you for listening. This was the penultimate episode in this series. So just one last one to go. Please do share the episode if you enjoy it. It really, really means the world. So spread the word and what we're doing. Share it, rate it, review it. Give us your feedback because it really makes it all so worthwhile. And as always, you can find us on social at deliciouslyella. Send us an email, podcast at deliciouslyella.com. Otherwise, I will see you back here for the series finale. It's an absolute gem, I'm telling you. So thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of our community. And as always, thank you to Curling Media for being the best partners in producing the show. 